am Darren Ellison, the Primary Director at United Learning, and in this podcast we're going to be looking at the importance of questioning in teaching and learning. Questioning is a key skill that lots and lots of our teachers use. It supports the learning process in terms of moving children onto the next stage. It helps children to recall previous learning that they've had. And it also helps the teacher to stop, check, where are the children? Am I ready to move on to the next piece of learning? So used for a lot of purposes, really. So really important that teachers are using those. Where there's good questioning in a lesson, there's actually a lot of them. So I think that's important as a teacher. You're thinking about lots of questions you're going to need to be asking. I think it starts for a teacher. Think about it at the planning stage. What are some of those key questions that you want to ask? And you may ask more of those, but actually by planning those, you make sure they get covered. Because quite often, sometimes it's difficult to think of them offhand. And in terms of those questions, be thinking of those that are more closed, lower order questions, and how they'll support you moving to more open, evaluative questions, because it's important to take it through. And also think of one or two questions which are referred to as hinge point questions. They're those key assessment questions that you're going to ask that what you'll get from the children will give you an indication of whether it's okay to move on to to the next stage. So you're going to have to ask lots of questions. Making sure they're good is by doing that at the planning stage. In terms of asking questions, there's a number of things I think a teacher should be engaging with. Try and engage as many pupils with those questions as possible. And I'll have shared in some previous podcasts some of those structures for engagement of where you will maybe do a rally robin or you give children time pair share where they're given a set amount of time to answer. Because that way you maximise the use of your question. Why ask a question once and only get one response when you can have all 30 children engaging or they may write their answer on the whiteboard or they may chant it out to you if they're so try and where possible engage as many pupils as possible and when you ask a question wait that importance of giving time to children to actually just synthesize their approach. Now we know there's always that person who's shouting out and putting their hand up and wanting to be the first. So there is a bit of, no, I want you to wait and think about this question particularly when we get into more of those higher order questions so that pupils have got the chance to actually construct their answer. Wait time is really important support the children in their questioning by modeling answers. So we know that for pupils, the vocabulary gap is a real challenge for achievement and it's part of that cultural capital. So a pupil may answer, but actually the language and the technical language, the academic language isn't there. Don't correct them, just model that answer Yes, that was really good, but become the person who's using that academic language. So you extend that learning, you extend that language, and it's allowing that consolidation of practice. In terms of asking questions, there's a number of strategies. Do you ask the question to the whole audience, and then they all put their hands up, and then you're into the dilemma of selecting? One of the things we've seen in schools is random selectors or lollipops so that you ask the question and then by random selecting, what that actually does is put the ownership on every child thinking, I have got to think of the answer because I could be the one who's answering. 
by using structures where children are talking to their shoulder partner, face partner, or having a time pair share, those types of structures. That means that everyone's answering. Because they've had a chance to talk about it, it's fine to then randomly call out the names because it's not as threatening. So I'd say wherever possible, not all the time, but for a lot of the time, use some sort of random selection and work from there. And for some questions, you don't want to put children on the spot. But if it's a real complex question, ask the right children the right question, the one that's going to challenge and take their learning on, so you can pace how you randomly select. And never leave a pupil getting the question wrong. If it's a critical piece of learning, you may go to another pupil or the teacher may actually explain the answer. But when that answer has been explained correctly by another pupil or the teacher, go back to that other pupil. Don't let them off the hook and re-ask that question so that they re-paraphrase it because actually you're teaching that pupil. And it's amazing where classes do that, that children realise, right, I've got to listen because actually they've got a gap in their knowledge. They listen, they grab that knowledge and they know they've got to re-paraphrase it back. So never leave it where it's wrong and it's that high level of success. You know, in thinking about your questions, you can end up with a very small repertoire of questions that you want to use. And actually, there's a number of strategies. Timber Tree and Con Greaves, primary under the leadership of Michelle Green, use very well Bloom's questions that group key questions, moving from those more closed to evaluative questions. And they also use their matrix of questions. And it's basically a X, Y axis where you've got who, what, when, where, why on one hand and it isn't, could, shouldn't. And actually by doing your X and Y comparative, you get questions like who is, what is, when, were, which are at the lower order. But then when you move across, it may be why shouldn't, where might, and it's more challenging in the beginning those stems. And equally, there's more constructive stems. And even looking at the Rosenshine principles within some of their publications they've got sentence starters and sentence stems so I think actually as a school agreeing a few key resources through Blooms or through Matrix or even the Rosenshine to actually have them as a core supports teachers in that starter attending. The type of questions you ask depends where you are in the lesson. If you are developing a piece of new learning then as a teacher you're asking questions to take that learning on and move that learning on or consolidate the modeling that you've been trying to share but when you've come to the right that's a key little piece of learning on how we work out equivalence fractions they've got to have that before they can move on to the next bit of learning then that's when you're using a hinge point assessment type question and what's critical particularly when you move to those hinge point assessment questions you need a way of assessing individual pupils so actually random selecting a pupil or lollipop selecting isn't going to do it it needs to be if they're sat at the desk you ask the question they jot it down in the book it may be on a whiteboard it's on a piece of card or you do a few similar questions and you're randomly selecting pupils to get the feel of the room to know whether some of the children can move on to the next piece of learning or whether you actually need to do some consolidation with some key children or actually my teaching wasn't quite good on that I've got most of the children don't know it let's roll my sleeves up and go back over it again so the type of question depends where you are in that journey through the lesson 
I think sometimes teachers can perceive the risk and I see that horrible red coming up the neck and into the face when I'm sat in classes and teachers ask a question and the children just don't know the answer and it's that dread and that panic. To be honest, there shouldn't be the fear of that, unless every question they don't know. But if that's the case, that's great. That's really helpful in one way, children, that you've not got that, because that shows we need to go over that again. And I've seen teachers do that, and you think, yes. That acknowledgement that that assessment question is demonstrating that the learning's not been, or actually, I think we've pushed too far on that. Let's roll back and let's do the work from there. What we've got to be careful with questions is that we're not just asking questions for questions sake. You know, you could look at the principles and say, ask lots of questions. So we write loads of questions and we ask them and we've ticked that box. No, it's ask lots of questions that support the development and the consolidation of the learning and support your assessment of the learning. If it's just a question that actually isn't doing anything extra, that's something teachers do need to safeguard against. Quite often we will ask children to ask key questions and work from them in terms of developing their learning. And that has its value in certain aspects. So if we're looking at a piece of information text or a descriptive piece of writing, actually the question we're asking the children is to think about what would be some of the key questions you may be considering when you're looking at this text. And that's to hone their learning into what the key focus is and the work from there. So we're actually asking a question to generate questions and that can be helpful. Sometimes in a new area of learning, say on history and geography, we outline the areas we're learning and may say, so what's some of the key things that you would like to find out to engage the children? We've got to be careful how we do that because it's not that, well, the children come up with all key aspects of Victorian life that they want to learn and we're going to go and do that. And some people would say, well, yeah, that's important because that's where children are motivated to learn and therefore will engage from it. But I go back to what's their entitlement in that year group in terms of historical knowledge in that period of time. If we've got time and it links in, fine. If not, how do we signpost them of where they can do that? Can that be a home learning and an extended learning task? So we don't dismiss it, but let's not derail the entitlement of knowledge that children have. The way you ask questions and the frequency and the type of questions can be different, thinking particularly with children with certain special educational needs. And I've recently been doing some work with autistic pupils and the way in which you come alongside and you engage with them in terms of the questioning sometimes can be a challenge and it may be more as a scaffold you provide. And equally, you've got to be careful with questions I'd say in continuous provision in early years you can so often close down the learning if you're in that sandpit along that pupil who's got a creative story going about some treasure that they're burying and you say how many jewels are in the treasure chest for it just shuts it down and you've got to think well in terms of their learning at that point it's more the creative language of describing and it may be positional language that you just describe by the things you're saying and I wonder what would happen if the pirate left that treasure and someone came along they extend their verbal story so you do need to be careful in certain contexts in terms of the type of learning and particularly with some special needs people. 
When you're delivering CPD, actually the use of questions in checking for the understanding, taking the learning on, is as important as whether you're teaching in a class of tiny tots or whether it's adults. You know, personally, I remember when I used to teach A-level at FE College and, you know, the use of questions for there and some of my students at night school were in the 80s, you know, was as important as when I'm in reception classes. So it's there all the time. I think one of the things about doing CPD around questioning is as the leader you need to model that process with content that challenges the actual teachers in that area so our recent teaching learning conference for all teaching learning leads and heads we were looking at the notion of how you funnel questions from key knowledge to more evaluative questions and the step-step approach now, although we were with primary teachers, we actually used an extract from Macbeth and we scaffold the questions around that. And as a result, to kind of phrase, the penny dropped of, ah, we could have never answered that evaluative question if you'd have just given it as up front. You scaffolded it through closed questions and then into the more wider questions allowed us to actually do that. 